Uh, good to be here in this way with you this morning uh, as we look at Nicodemus together. And Eugene Peterson in the message translation helps us a little bit because he uses this language of being born from above. Uh, but some of the more uh, literal translations say born again. And as we begin today to look at this, what comes to mind when you hear the words born again or born again Christian? Now, thankfully, at least from my perspective, we don't hear that as much anymore. It's kind of a lost term or an old term. But when I was growing up, especially in Texas, born again was an assumption that you were born again. So before we get into what this might mean, I would love to hear just from you, again, as you hear the words born again or born again Christian, just hoist a paw and give me a statement or a word that comes to mind when you hear born again. Altar call. Altar call, yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. Anybody else? Church camp. Church camp, mm-hmm. You can get born again many times <laughs> at church camp. <laughs> Revival. Revival, mm-hmm. Roman road. The Roman road, wow. Mm, thank you. Jesus people. Jesus people. Great. What is it? Yes. Maybe one last one. Born again. How about born again Christian? People are opposed to things. People who are opposed to things. That's a good. That's actually a good segue. I think this idea traditionally of born again or born again Christian is some. It, it's a description that's given to a certain type of person. And the assumption is that they have had really two, I like to call it two M's. There's been a moment when they accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. And then after that, there's an adoption of a pretty strict moral code. So you've got a moment and you've got a moral code. And it's it's pretty straightforward. And I think any of us sitting here, we can do our own personal inventory and decide for ourselves if we've been born again. Have we had a moment where we said yes to a lifestyle with Jesus? And are we following a fairly strict moral code? And if we can say yes to the two M's, Maybe we're born again. And yet we hear in today's story this man named Nicodemus, if anyone fits the two M's, it's him. His whole life was built on a moment where he said yes to a lifestyle with God. He's a prominent Pharisee. 
And not only did he follow a strict moral code, but he was in the business of helping others follow a strict moral code. So one might say, if anyone's been born again, it's Nicodemus, and yet, what do we hear in the story? Let's look at it together. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night, he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one can do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God were in on it. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me unless a person is born from above or born again. It's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. So right out of the gate, Jesus says to this man who fits the two M's to a T that you must be born again. Nicodemus says here in that opening part, Two things. He says, we see that you're a teacher. And we see the acts you do. In other words, we are paying attention to what we see and what we hear. Did you catch it there? Jesus' response, it's not possible to actually see what's going on unless you're born again. So right out of the gate, Nicodemus is talking about the external, and Jesus is getting at the internal. Nicodemus is honing in on what he's seen Jesus do, and Jesus flips it on him and says, you can't actually see. And then the story continues. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born again who's already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? This literalist Nicodemus is so confused. Jesus says, you're not listening. Let me say it again, unless a person submits to this original creation, this wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life, then it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. So first Jesus says you can't see. Then he says you can't hear. Two things Nicodemus was very confident of when he started the conversation. This is what we've seen. This is what we hear. Now Jesus is saying, you can't see Nicodemus. And by the way, you can't hear. Let 
And he offers this alternative to seeing and hearing, to things he can touch. He starts getting into this talk about the invisible. And then there's a word we see in the text, one word, a word we in our culture don't like very much at all. It's the word submit. Jesus says, unless you submit, you won't get it. Perhaps it's the alternative to seeing and hearing. It's this life of submission that Jesus begins to talk about with Nicodemus. And then Jesus takes the conversation even deeper. When you look at a baby, it's just that, which we have a little baby with us today, if you want to look at one. Uh, When you look at a baby, it's just that, a, a, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's taken away the sight, he's taken away the hearing, and now he's getting at the touch. All these senses that we're so used to operating out of, he's taken them away. And then he makes this amazing statement. Unless you take shape within. I think he's looking at Nicodemus, this prominent man in the culture, Pharisee leader, who has done a phenomenal job of taking shape on the outside. And he's saying, unless you take shape on the inside. So I'd like to do something for just a moment. See if we can't take away our senses. So if you would just close your eyes. Take away our sight. Try to drown out anything you're hearing. And if you're touching something with your hands, maybe just put them in your lap. And for a moment, let's try to pay attention to what we can't see, what we can't hear, and what we can't touch. Okay, you can open your eyes. Unless a person takes shape within. That might be a better understanding of being born again than the one that our culture has adopted. One who takes shape within. See, because as I mentioned, Nicodemus, he had it all figured out on the outside. People could look at his life and say, wow, he's got it all together. His family's got it together. He's making a great wage. 
relationships. It's just working. And then Jesus comes on a scene and said, if you want to participate in God's kingdom, then you've got to take shape on the inside. You've spent your life taking shape on the outside, Nicodemus, and it's time to consider a whole new way of life. Which could have been really threatening for Nicodemus because he's way far down the road of this life on the outside. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You've got to start over. You got to take shape within. But how do you do that? How do you and I try to insert ourselves in the story today? How might we take shape on the inside? Uh, If you grabbed one of these, we're going to look at three movements from the text that might help us take shape within. The movements are from teacher to savior, from God with us to God in us, and finally the movement from flesh to spirit. So right out of the gate, did you hear it? It says uh, in the beginning of the encounter, teacher, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. Nicodemus is very comfortable with Jesus being a teacher. That's what he was. Nicodemus saw himself as a teacher of God. And so he just looked at Jesus, heard what he was doing, and went to him at night to say, Teacher, I'm really comfortable seeing you as teacher, myself as teacher. I think he went to Jesus that night, honestly, to just get affirmation. I hear what you're doing. Have you heard what I'm doing? And to get affirmation about this life that he was living. So imagine his surprise that instead of Jesus giving him affirmation, he flips it completely on him and invites him to consider going way beyond teaching to seeing himself, to seeing Jesus as a savior. Nicodemus went in thinking he needed more teaching. I think often you and I are in that posture. We just think we need the next podcast or that next whatever it is, fill in the blank, more information, more information, give it to me, come on, more information. There's gotta be a key to this. And Jesus is saying, yeah, there actually is a key to this. And it's moving from teacher to savior. It's getting into a posture of saying, I need you. Every moment of today, I need you. I think this movement from teacher to savior is actually a movement from control to surrender. It's, it's going from going like this, I've got this figured out, to going like this, I don't have anything figured out. 
Jesus, I need you. Uh, Psalm 70, David cries out to God. He says, come to my help, O God, Lord. Hurry to my rescue. I need your help. I am so bad at this control to surrender movement that I actually had to put it a little deal on my phone at 6 a.m. that pops up every morning. It's been there for a while now that says, Come to my help, O God. Lord, hurry to my rescue. I need your help. If that's how we can begin our day, if that's how we can continue about our day, I believe we're on our way to embracing this movement from teacher to savior. There's a second movement that we look at. The movement from God with us to God in us. Again, we hear it right here in the story. Nicodemus, still in a pretty confident posture, I think. He says, no one could perform these signs you do, Jesus, unless God were with him. Nicodemus believes that God is with Jesus. And again, I think it's because Nicodemus believed God was with him. So here's another fellow teacher whom God is with. Because especially in that culture, in the Jewish understanding of God, God was someone who was far off. God was someone to be feared. And God was someone who would occasionally come in and speak to a very chosen few. God was someone who had provided some teachings at some point, and those were the teachings to be followed. And so a movement from God with us to what I believe Jesus is getting at here is is God in us. It's It's a way more risky movement because it's relational it's organic I actually think it's invasive and Jesus uses this wonderful metaphor here which we don't fully get because you know pregnancy and birth in our culture we have much more of the you know midwives and nurses and hospitals but back then very, even more disruptive of an experience than is birth today. And yet Jesus chooses this analogy of birth, of just that vulnerability of it, to say to Nicodemus, hey, here's the invitation to move from God with us to God in us. And I think for you and me, do we go about our day 
believing that we have a God who just occasionally might help us out. That's God with us. To believing that we have a God who is in us. Because later on in this same book, the gospel writer John says on the week of Jesus' death, he quotes Jesus saying, just as the Father is in me, I am in you. That means this whole idea of God with us to God in us doesn't just apply to Jesus, it means it applies to you and me. That you and I, the reality is we have God in us. All day, throughout the day, available to impact how we go about our day. And that's where I believe we see the second movement. This movement from God with us to God in us. So there's two out of the three. That movement from teacher to savior and the movement from God with us to God in us. And finally, we see our last movement. The movement from flesh to spirit. The text says this. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit, birth to spirit. You must not be surprised that I told you that all of you must be born again. The wind blows where it likes. You can hear the sound of it, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it goes. Nor can you tell how a person is born by the wind of the Spirit. See, this last movement, I think it's that movement that Jesus is really getting at all along with Nicodemus. It's that movement from the outside to the inside, and he uses the analogy of wind. And actually, the Greek word pneuma for spirit is wind. And he's talking about the movement from the exterior to the interior. And again, I think he's saying to Nicodemus, usually you, you've, you've got it. You've figured out how to master the exterior. And to you and me, 2019, I think he's saying to us, hey, guess what? You've figured out how to master the exterior. I mean, just pull out your phone. Take one swipe on Instagram. We figured out how to master the exterior. And it's to Nicodemus. And I believe to us that Jesus is offering this movement from the flesh to the spirit, from the exterior to the interior. And I've found in my own life, there's two real litmus tests that I can apply at any time to figure out how am I doing on the interior. The first one is this. What is my inner dialogue? What do I say about myself to myself? And what do I think God is saying to me about me? Because often I believe 
what we think God is saying to us and about us is way different than what he's actually saying. The second litmus test is this. How open am I to silence? How open am I to giving time and space to God? Because really all he's asking, I think the main thing, if it can be summed up in one word to Nicodemus or to us today in John 3, the word is access. That's all he wants, is access to the interior of our lives. So there's the three movements. The movement from teacher to savior, from God with us to God in us. And then that movement from flesh to spirit. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's traditionally the Sunday when the church at large celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit. And if you read those few verses in Acts 2, it is a noisy, (laughs) crazy, supernatural event. And yet I wonder if the coming of the Spirit, this idea of being born again for us, looks a whole lot more like John 3. than it does craziness of Acts 2. I wonder if it's this, this slow, this unseen, this consideration of the interior. That's what really makes a difference. See, we don't have privy because the Gospels is more about the story of Jesus and all the people we encounter. We don't have the Gospel of Nicodemus and how this encounter changed his life, but what we do know is that it changed his life. Because at the end of Jesus' life, two men took his broken, battered body off the cross, embalmed it, and put it in a tomb. And Nicodemus was one of those men. And by the way, back then, this was the work for young women of no social status. And so for an old, prominent Jewish leader to be the one. I mean, you talk about when Jesus talked about flesh to spirit. At the end of Jesus' life, we have Nicodemus literally embrace Jesus' flesh. And by the way, that made him unclean in his culture. And I believe he said, I do not care 
what this does to me. Because this man changed my life. Not on the outside, but on the inside. And he embraced the body of Jesus and gave him a proper burial. And I believe he then went about his life helping others learn what it meant to truly be born again. May we say yes to these movements. These movements, the invitation of surrender, the invitation to embrace the interior. May we too be truly born again. Let me pray. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it feels super uh, relevant to pray to you as Trinity. Just the mystery of your Spirit specifically here on Pentecost Sunday. Thank you for the life of Nicodemus, for the example, for the way you changed his life. Uh, We trust that you are changing our lives as well from the inside out. Amen.